Hi there, this is a quick bonus episode ahead of Monday's release on Fisben's Treasury of Dragons with one of the cool kids, Amy Vorpal. She was extremely generous with her time and offered to do a making a monster lightning round on the monster she created for Candlekeep Mysteries. You're walking through the Candlekeep libraries. You descend down a circular staircase and you hear the tippity-tap of metal on stone. And you look down and you do see a metallic, almost like a dog, but with way too many legs for a dog, almost like a spider. It's kind of scorpion-like, almost crab-like, but kind of cute. The heads almost look like cute pit bull dog-headed things. And when you see two of them together, they don't look dissimilar, but they're not of the same ilk either. So. You're kind of immediately charmed, except that their tails on the back, they stick straight up and a little spark of electricity sustains at the end of their tail, almost threateningly like a scorpion's stinger. They don't seem to notice you immediately, these two uh, almost dog-sized creatures, and they do seem to be tending to their own business, but also something very specific within a, a carved out part of the wall on the opposite side of where you are. They made their nest in a naturally formed cavern in the wall, and they've got a couple of, about a third of the size of them, a couple of little, little babies. They're also made of metal. So how did these things reproduce? I don't know, but maybe it's magic. Um, <laughs> and then these are even more adorable. If cockroach dogs could be adorable, they sure are. But they look like really good parents, actually. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm there. And I'm also thinking, like, it's electric in a library? We're going to burn the place down. Yes, except, good call. I ran my Candlekeep Mystery called Candlekeep Deconstruction, spelled with all Ks, uh, <laughs> for, for two different groups of people. And one of them did want to, they were like, F this, we're just going to burn it down. And there is a clause. It was Chris Lindsay and Hannah Rose who described the entire Candlekeep. And there is a clause in there that any fire larger than a, a candle flicker, it, it magically put out. Because, of course it is, because it's a magical dang library. They're not going to take any risks. So, yes, while electricity can cause a lot of damage, it actually will not start at least not a real fire. You can still cast your magical, you know, fireballs and stuff like that. But a real, real fire that could actually damage books, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. So, no worries. <laughs> Pat Rothfuss can <laughs> suck it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let me see if we can do the, the the lightning round on the skitter widgets. One of the things that I love it when people tell me are like, it's just a monster. It's just like, so you can smash it and be the hero. And sometimes people just tell me like, it's just cute. Like we just want to give you something that you yeah. can adore. Is that the role at the skitter widgets, Phil? Or are they <laughs> for something? No, I, I guess, hmm. It was the first thing that came to mind. I guess you'd have to read the adventure, but there's a lot of kind of hints at mechanical sci-fi in my adventure. And so I wanted, the first monster that came to mind was Modrons, which arguably is my favorite monster because they are just the, they could just be totally, totally innocuous and silly. 
and dumb, but also maybe they can help. And maybe they're, they're like hobbits. They're like stronger than you think. So I, mm. I love modrons. So I wanted something like that, that, that something small that could perform tasks, but also could fight if you needed them to. And then I did really want them to be cute because I think, I think that was influenced by just playing a lot of Pokemon Go. And I really liked, <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the idea of monsters being adorable and then they fight for you. So they are cute. I also, I don't know why I wanted them to be parents, but I did. And and one of their feats is good parent. They can, uh, they can impose disadvantage on one attack roll made against a kitty widget, which by the way, the, the children of these parents are called kitty widgets. Isn't that cute? They didn't change those names. I don't know why they didn't. Um, it's canon now. I think I really wanted to have children just so I could have, have the name Skitter Widget and Kitty Widget. I think it was really a lexicon-based <laughs> decision. Um, and I initially, when I was writing this adventure, I gave the Kitty Widget a stat block. And Chris Perkins said, Amy, if you give the Kitty Widgets a stat block, that means we're kind of allowing and almost encouraging the players to kill babies. <laughs> I don't know if that is the right choice. We should probably just make them non-combatants. And I was like, oh my gosh, totally, let's do that non-combatants. So the way that this process works is uh, first draft, then you do a second draft after notes, uh, and then you're off to the races and they, they either love it or they don't. They may or may not put it in the book. That was how it was uh, clarified to me. Then then they, they take it and do their whole Wizards of the Coast thing. They may or may not change the adventure that you wrote. They're definitely going to play test it with their own play testers. And then the next time I see it, it's going to be uh, the printed version that everyone has okayed but I, I didn't have my hands on it throughout that process. So when it was printed, the Kitty Widgets were back with stat blocks. And Chris Perkins told me it was because in their play tests, players tried to kill the freaking Kitty Widget. So I just <laughs> want to say that my instincts were dead on to give Kitty Widget stat blocks. And they do canonically have stat blocks now. There's also, here, there's also a way... They're like shield guardians. They're controlled by wearing, um, like a shield guardian is controlled by its owner having a collar and the collar wearer can communicate s small commands to the shield guardian. In this one, the skitter widgets are controlled by rings and they are all constructs that were built by one of the characters in this adventure. So yes, while they are canon, they're not running around everywhere. Like this character is responsible for making them, I guess. So if this character doesn't exist in your Forgotten Realms, the Skitter Witches <laughs> probably don't exist in your Forgotten Realms, which is totally fine. But boy, <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> My inspiration does really only come from the games I've played. Like, it's less from Forgotten Realms lore and more like, <laughs> oh, oh, I, I want this to be in D&D &D lore. Can I? And Chris Perkins was like, sure. <laughs> Although my my adventure is the only one that takes place actually in the candle keep and I did kind of mess with the candle keep. <laughs> I had to do a page one rewrite for Candlekeep because I, I couldn't wrap my head around writing very finite instructions. And and I guess I guess I've said before, it's kind of like a love letter to a dungeon master. So 
and they're all mysteries. So you're front loading the mystery. You're saying, mm-hmm. hey, DM, here's what's going on. This, this, and this, 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 and this, this will be revealed later. This will be revealed later. This will be revealed later at your discretion, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's so counterintuitive because when you're writing a mystery, even if it's an adventure, your instinct is to withhold and only reveal the reveal at the time in the adventure where it should be revealed. And that is not what you should do. <laughs> you have to tell the DM what they're dealing with immediately. Writing for D&D is very different from writing Dungeon in a Box because the writing for that is a little bit more we know you're not going to play this exactly as written. So here are <laughs> right. some ideas. D&D, however, is, is written as if you might be playing this exactly as written. I need to give you every single, exactly how it's lit, exactly the the stats for everything, including this door, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's very, yeah. Like you said, it's like writing an Ikea manual and you've got to be really specific and, and not only like, I, I guess visual as well as you have to be the dungeon master and the player. You have to also discard your ideas of what hypotheticals could be. And I say that lightly because at the end of my adventure, there are about five hypotheticals <laughs> of how, <laughs> of how it could end. But in the, in the actual adventure, you can't write or plan what the players are going to do. You can just build the Ikea playground and hope <laughs> for the best. So yeah. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review. Because on Monday, I will have a shiny new full-length episode with Amy discussing Fisman's Treasury of Dragons. We'll cover Fisman as a character, the old man voice that lives in all of our heads, the reason D&D sourcebooks come with guide characters, and Amy's tips on writing. So don't miss it. 